It's not Sunday morning, but it is time for some jazz. Five songs, five stories in the continuing series. Songs and Stories, Supplemental Jazz Edition. This is part 54. Now it is later than planned. I've had uh, a heck of a week personally. Um, Had a migraine for about four days and I've had serious stomach issues. But enough about me, because I'm back on track and feeling great today. So why don't we ease into the day with some smooth jazz? I think uh, I think that's a great way to start off a, a day, don't you? Or maybe end off a day whenever you're listening to this. I don't know when that would be. Either way, I hope you're going to enjoy this selection that I've prepared for you today. So starting off with one of the key hard bop musicians from the 1960s. This is Mr. Lee Morgan. And this particular composition was from his album recorded in 1965. But it wasn't released till 1967. This is from the album Cornbread. And this is Ill Wind, which is technically, as the saying goes, a cover song. Because... This was originally written by Harold Arlen and Ted Kohler. Please enjoy Mr. Lee Morgan. Thank you. 
And he uh, became widely known in 1957 when he was merely 18 years of age when he was asked to contribute to the John Coltrane monumental record, Blue Train. Now, he uh, moved on and worked with Art Blakey for a few years, but left in, uh, I guess, about 1961. The song Sidewinder, which I've featured on this program in the past, became a hit song for him. It was a crossover. It uh, hit the pop charts and the R&B charts in 1964. And it did end up garnering him some uh, additional spotlight, I guess you could say, along with uh, a cash settlement from General Motors because they used his song in a commercial during a um, NFL football game. I don't know if it was the Super Bowl. No, it wasn't the Super Bowl, because it didn't exist in 1964. The Super Bowl was 1966, the very first one. So yeah, it was used in a uh, uh, um, NFL football game song for a General Motors commercial without his permission. There was no licensing, so as a result, Mr. Morgan was able to um, take them to court and win a substantial settlement. Of course, he did die at the very tender age of 33, at the hand of his uh, common-law wife, Helen. She shot him outside of a slug saloon following a confrontation. Sad story. 
sat into a brilliant and musical life, Mr. Edward Lee Morgan, originally from Philadelphia. He, uh, he was the youngest, uh, youngest of four children. Now, he started out playing the vibraphone, but uh, his growing enthusiasm for the trumpet sort of helped him migrate there. Be a, a lie to say that he wasn't influenced by Miles Davis. I mean, who wasn't, right? But like I said, he did play with uh, Lee Morgan. Or Lee Morgan, my goodness gracious. Art Blakey. <laughs> Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. He joined them in 1958 and stayed with them until uh, 1961. And then, of course, like I said, in 57, when he was merely 18 years of age, he contributed to John Coltrane's monumental album, Blue Train. I have featured that album, well, cuts from that album on this show in the past, so if you've been listening to this for a while, you would remember that. The goal of this program, this show, this podcast, I'm trying to expose you to more jazz, so I don't want to you know, regurgitate or replay um, a multitude of, of artists, or, sorry, a multitude of composition, oh boy. Let's start that over, shall we? What I'm trying to avoid is is playing the same songs over and over again. Yeah, that was a much more eloquent way to say what I was trying to say. <laughs> I don't like to repeat myself. Um, occasionally I will feature a, a song by an artist, a composition by an artist that I've liked a lot, but the goal of the program is to avoid doing that. It's to do, move into new areas, new territories, and expose you to jazz artists and music that maybe you've not heard before. But that's for you to determine, not me. So from Lee Morgan, recorded uh, in 1965 and released in 1967, we're going to move ahead in time to 2003. And I'm actually going to play the re-released version the remastered, remixed, re-released version from 2021. Now, this is from Jim Snedero. Now, the album was originally recorded in 2002, released in, uh, or sorry, 2001, released in 2003, and re-released this past September of 2021. He just felt it was uh, time to revisit the record because he saw it you know, there's there's things that I just didn't accomplish on the first time out. And I now have an opportunity to make the changes I always wanted to. So from the album Strings, the re-released, remixed, remastered version, this is Theme for Ernie from the great Jim Snedero.
Soulful Sax of Jim Snedero from his 2001 recording released in 2003, Strings. That, of course, is the remixed, remastered version you just heard. I'm going to tell you all about it. So that record, originally recorded in, as I said, 2001. Here's the thing. The day they were set to start the recording... Um, was the morning of September 11th, 2001. They're on their way to Systems 2 Studios in Brooklyn. And, well, some members made it to the studio. Others uh, were stuck in traffic and transit for quite some time. By the time everybody got to the studio, they were like, we really know just nobody could possibly record any music on that day. It just didn't seem right. And of course, everybody, you know, just went home everywhere. I remember the entire city of Ottawa shutting down that day. Um, Literally, uh, I had never seen traffic like that in this city before or since. Every single government office was instantly shut. There was a mass exodus out of the core of the city. And it's a day we'll not forget for those of us who were uh, around at that time. Anyway, they got together um, about two months later, late October. And uh, then again in November, mid-November, they recorded the uh, the remaining portion of the album. It had, a, it had a dark tone to it, of course, because there was, you know... The music that they wrote just had far more gravity to it than than anyone would have ever expected uh, because of the odd circumstances, to say the least. Nevertheless, he decided that let's revisit this album as it had been out of print for about uh, 10 years. But Jim wanted to go back and do it again, revisit and and remaster and remix. Nothing's been re-recorded. It's all the original master tapes. But the mix is slightly different, and uh, the remastering cleaned up a few things here and there. If you enjoy the album as much as I do, I suggest you pick it up. It's well worth it. Of course, James J. Snedero, Jim, to his friends and to the musical world at large, originally grew up in the uh, Washington, D.C. area, and he he moved to New York City in uh, 1981, which has been home ever since. Now, the man is an accomplished musician, of course, but he's also a, uh, an educator, a musical educator. He's written um, five series of jazz etude books, uh, 60 in, in total is what it amounts to. Um, so the man knows his stuff. He got his uh, a degree at the University of North Texas College of Music before he moved to New York in 1981. And Jim is... Uh, Turned 63 this year, uh, back in uh, late May, celebrated his 63rd birthday. The great Jim Snedero, and a little bit of background on the album Strings. Okay, I'm going to move it about a little bit, and uh, let's play a composition uh, from uh, Sebastian Zawit. Zawadzki. I hope I said that correctly. Sebastian? Sebastian. Zawadzki. This is uh, far away.
Sebastian, Sebastian Zawadzki from his album, Far Away. That was Far Away. Now, you might not be familiar with Sebastian, and that's okay. He's a young man. He recently turned 30. Smells Like Teen Spirit is older than Sebastian. For a pop culture point of reference that I'm sure most of you who are listening to this are very disturbed at. (laughs) Polish-born, Copenhagen-based Sebastian, prolific, forward-thinking artist, and composer, uh, he blurs the lines between genres. I'm, I'm, I had to go right to his, his personal website because there's not a ton of information about the man. But I do know this. I've listened to a number of his compositions, and he does blend jazz, um, uh, electronic, ambient, and classical. So, is he a new new jazz artist? I mm, It's tough to say. But I like what I hear. He's definitely unique. I don't know of many other artists that play quite like him. Nevertheless, he has um, a pretty extensive catalog for such a young comp- composer, such a young artist. Quite impressive. So, uh, I guess when he was 22 years of age, he signed to uh, Fortune Records, which is a label in Poland. And a, a great number of his compositions are just minimal pia- piano work, uh, very little else. But he incorporates strings and electronic instruments and really does mix it up. Somebody to keep your eye on. Again, he, he's not really pigeonholed into the jazz genre. He's a musician, and he plays what satisfies him, which, you know, I, I respect that a great deal. But I'd like, I want to hear more from him, because I like where it's going. He's unique. He's, he's, he composes a lot for um, multimedia works, uh, television, movies. Um, he's done a, a number of film scores. Um, and he's he's collaborated with another of other artists as well. Now, m- many of the films and artists that I could tell you about, you've probably never heard of. Uh, a lot of them are small art house style films, uh, simply due to the fact that they have you know a smaller budget. So when you're looking for someone to compose music for your music, music, <laughs> music for your movie, you tend to seek out an artist who is uh, young and um, hungry and probably won't break your budget. That's the most polite way I could think of saying that. I, I think you understand what I'm trying to say here. Uh, now, just because they didn't spend a ton of money to get this music written doesn't mean they lacked anything of it. The man is a brilliant pianist. And again, because he's influenced by so many different genres, his own writing is, well unique, to say the least. He released his first album in uh, 2014. Now, he, he sort of came on the scene in, in 2012. So, you know, he was <laughs> he was barely 21 at the time. <laughs> they describe his genres as neoclassical, experimental, ambient, post-minimalism, and jazz. I would... I would... Uh, I would say that that's a very good description of the type of music that this young man writes. Okay. I have uh, two more songs for you, of course, because this is a five-song, or five-composition. Five songs. I, you know, songs and stories, right? And this next, uh, this next piece of music, you will be familiar... I, well, I would hope you would be familiar with the title of it, but this is a different um, interpretation thereof. This is the Red Garland Trio, and, uh, well, this is their version of Stormy Weather. Please enjoy this wonderful piece of jazz.
recorded in 1958 and released in 1959. Recorded actually on uh, November 27th, 1958 at the prestigious Van Gelder Studio in Hackensack, New Jersey. That is the Red Garland Trio with their uh, composition, no, their cover, their version, their interpretation thereof of Stormy Weather. The uh, magnificent uh, song that I, I'm, I'm sure you've heard somewhere at some point in time in a film or a television show, or maybe perhaps you just listened to the uh, the jazz version, written in 1933 by Harold Arlen and Ted Kohler. It was first sung by uh, Ethel Waters at the Cotton Club in Harlem in 1933. Now, I, I think one of the most famous recordings of it is by um, Ella Fitzgerald. Judy Garland, of course, did a version, as did Frank Sinatra, Dinah Washington, Lena Horne. Billie Holiday's version is also quite famous as well. There was, uh, I guess, a couple years back, um, if you've ever seen the program The Antiques Roadshow, back in 2011, there was an individual who arrived with the handwritten lyrics, along with a painting by Ted Kohler. They were praised between fifty and $100,000. Um, the lyrics show a number of crossings out and corrections in the uh, handwritten notations. Yeah, I think that's kind of fascinating. Um, Duke Callington has a version of it. Lena Horne recorded her first version in 1941, and she recorded it again in 1943. Uh, Billie Holiday with Lester Young and the Count Basie Orchestra um, recorded it in 1955 on the album Broadcast Performances, Volume 2. So a little bit of background on that composition. Of course, that album, like I said, recorded in 58, released in 59. I don't have uh, chart information for it, um, sadly. I really do like their interpretation thereof, though. Red Garland, of course, passed away in 1984 at the, um, well, young age of 60. And I say young age because that's only six and a half years away from me. <laughs> Yikes. Um, sorry, stark realization there that, um, yeah, my twilight years are fast approaching. Aren't they all for all of us, I guess? Red Garland, uh, American jazz pianist, uh, largely known for his work as a band leader during the 50s and uh, working with Miles Davis. Now, he's well known as, as uh, helping to popularize the block chord style of piano playing. I don't know what that is. And truth be told, um, I simply just don't have the time to delve into that today. But I will in a future episode when I feature another composition from Red, or another interpretation thereof, or another recording. He actually, for a few years in the 1940s, he, uh, he was a welterweight boxer. He fought in 35, sites, 35 fights, and one of them uh, was an exhibition bout with Sugar Ray Robinson. So this man led a very interesting life from the Miles Davis, the first great Miles Davis quintet um, from 55 to 58. And then from 58 to 84, he just floated about. He formed his own trio. He worked with a number of people. Of course, that trio was um, pretty famous. <laughs> they featured, oh my goodness, I probably 100 recordings with the Red Garland Trio in total. Some of them are just uh, one-off uh, compositions. Others were full albums. He worked with Miles Davis, like I said, for for three years, almost four. Jackie McLean, Charlie Parker, Sonny Rollins, Phil Woods, John Coltrane. You get it. The man was ensconced within the milieu, the genre. He was deeply committed to jazz. The block chord technique was basically his trademark. It's a... Like I said, I'll, I'll get into it at a later date on another show. I just don't simply have the time for it today because we are running short. We, being me, myself, and I, the royal we. One final composition for you today. Um, this is from Stan Getz and Jerry Mulligan. And, uh, well, uh, I like the title of this. I didn't know what time it was. <laughs> Thank you. 
from the 1957 recording, Jerry Mulligan Meets Stan Getz, also released as Getz Meets Mulligan. Now, that was the final cut on the album, but it wasn't released with the original album. Uh, That composition, originally written by Rogers and Hart, only showed up on the CD reissue. As did Scrapple from the Apple, which is a Charlie Parker song, which I have featured on this show in the past. Of course, I've talked at length about Stan Getz in the past, and I think I've touched on Jerry Mulligan. Both both these gentlemen have passed away, uh, Stan Getz in 1991 and Jerry Mulligan in 1996. Apologies, I just bumped the microphone there. Very close to the microphone. Uh, Jerry Mulligan, of course, was a jazz baritone saxophone player. And he worked with Miles Davis, Chet Baker, amongst others. He had a very long career. Born and raised in uh, Queens Village in Queens, New York. And, of course, Stan Getz was a very accomplished musician who, you know, cool jazz and, and rel- well, is relatively credited, relatively credited? Heavily credited with the introduction of bossa nova jazz to the world. And helped, you know, he was kind of there at the beginning because he, he influenced Wally Huberto and uh, Antonio Carlos Jobim. They, you know, collectively, they, they popularized the bossa nova groove in the, UNI- in the United States with the, uh, the hit single, The Girl from Ipanema. And, uh, of course, the uh, vocalist on that composition was the very first time she ever sang on a, on a recording. Because she was not, she didn't consider herself to be a professional singer. Anyway, I've played that, um, their instrumental version of that in the past on this show. Well, I'm beginning to babble incessantly, and I'm not giving you facts the way I should, because that's what this show is all about. So to get back to that record, it was, um, it was reviewed, uh, basically four stars, five stars, three out of four, four out of four, um... This, the album was revered and has been throughout time. Um, now, tracks seven and eight, again, they originally appeared on um, an Oscar Peterson trio album, which was all B-sides, Scrapple from the Apple, and I didn't know what time it was. They were recorded for this record, but they weren't included on it in the original release. You could have heard them on the Oscar Peterson trio um, B-side album, but... You're hearing it from the original release, the original recording, the original intended pressing. Jerry Mulligan meets Stan Getz, or Getz meets Mulligan. You pick it. You choose. It's up to you. Okay. That is the end of today's program, because I has, uh, I has, like I just said, oh boy. Yeah, it's time for me to go. I'm babbling incessantly, and I'm stripping over my tongue, as I often do. But that's Okay. I have many things to get to today, as I'm sure you do too. So I hope you've enjoyed this hour today we've spent together. I hope it's helped you either through your work day or the start of your day or the end of your day or just maybe it's helped you relax on the couch with a beverage of your choice. I don't know where or when you listen, but I would like to know. Feel free to leave me a message in the comments section on Mixcloud. And if you haven't signed up or joined Mixcloud yet, I would uh, respectfully ask that you do. It helps me the more numbers I get. The larger the audience grows, the more I can offer to you. And if you wish, you can subscribe for, uh, I think it's $3 a month or something like that. It's entirely up to you. I don't uh, push anybody on that, but uh, there is a, sp- uh, a subscribe uh, portion there on the site. And each time I load a new thing, they <laughs> Mixcloud keeps saying, you can make this exclusive to your subscribers. I'm like but I don't have anybody paying for anything yet. <laughs> so, unless that base grows, I, uh, I'll continue to offer this to you for free. And you know what? Even if it does grow, I might... Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll do something where I'll, I'll put together a few compilation shows and, and just release them as a separate thing for subscribers only. An exclusive thing, if you will. Hey, man's got to earn some money somehow, right? I can't do my day job forever. Eventually, the body's going to give out, and I won't be able to do it anymore. Anyway, enough about me. This show is for you, and I hope you've enjoyed it. Wherever you are in this world, 
I hope you're well. <laughs> wow. I do hope you're healthy, happy, and content. Remember to show gratitude for all that you have. You never know. This could be your last day. I certainly hope that it isn't. Till we meet again, my friends. Take care. Bye.